Starting with this new season, we'll be dissecting and discussing growth and self-development books by reading passages, excerpts, and quotes. This season, we discuss the book Relentless by Tim S. Grover. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Behind the Underdogs. This is Joey Stanitzi, and I'm alongside Dylan Shuat. Let's get this out of the way right now. There is no such thing as the clutch gene. Or if there is, it's not something you should want. When do you hear that expression? When a guy's under pressure, steps up at the last minute, and makes something miraculous happen. Everyone goes nuts about how clutch the guy is. And for days, there's a big discussion about the so-called clutch gene. Whatever the hell that is, I still don't know. And who has it, and who doesn't, and who you can tell on about this completely false premise. There is no clutch gene. There's your predatory instinct that tells you to attack and finish the fight. And there's the readiness to know how and when to do that. So that's a little intro to this first chapter that we're reading on this episode. And it's when you're a cleaner, you're not intimidated by pressure, you thrive on it. So there's actually a lot of, I noticed with this chapter, there's a lot of, well, the chapters we've read in general, there's a lot of leadership that goes on in these chapters and stories about leadership with Kobe and there's a lot of comparison between Kobe and Jordan and how they completely treat situations mm-hmm. differently. Um, and I, I agree to disagree with, with both. Um, we'll get to the stories later, but I want to talk about it now because I feel like a lot of these um, segments or paragraphs I'm going to read really tie into those stories. So Kobe's more of a seems like he's more of a laid back leader and he kind of leads by there's a, there's a section that Grover mentions how Kobe kind of comes down to the level of others to raise their confidence. And then he steps up his game again. And then it's kind of, it's there. And then Jordan's the opposite. He makes people come, come up to him. He doesn't come down. Mm, He even touched on how out of, you know, all the gifts and, traits that jordan had being sympathetic for other people was not one of them like and he specifically says that like understanding that if someone's dealing with a hamstring injury he doesn't care like you know yeah yeah exactly exactly all right let's uh continue reading here about the clutch gene so-called clutch gene closers are called closers for a reason they show up at the end they can deliver in a in a pressure situation because they step up when something is on the line For cleaners, every moment is a pressure situation, and everything is always on the line. Honestly, if I were you, I'd be insulted if someone said I had a clutch gene. It's not a compliment when people say you step up for the big games. Where were you all the other games? Why weren't you that solid and aggressive and effective all the time? Look, I get the impact impact of a guy who sinks the winning shot or blasts the walk-off home run or drives downfield and throws the winning TD with two seconds on the clock. I understand the satisfaction of being the guy who gets everyone what they need when they need it. I get the drama and thrill and intensity of succeeding in that moment and going home a hero. But being relentless means constantly working for that result, not just when drama is on the line. Clutch is about the last minute. Relentless is about every minute. So this is kind of that same concept that he comes back to every time where the relentless and the cleaners, they're always on their It's nonstop. Maybe not always... Yeah, maybe not always on their game. Like he mentions plenty of times where cleaners, they're having a first bad half of the game and then they pour it on the second half. But it's always finding – they're not having a bad Mm -hmm. game. 
or that they're having a bad game for themselves, but for your typical player, that's extraordinary. It's still extraordinary. Yeah, and he always talks you know about I mean? there's never like, oh, you know, it's a preseason game. And he gives the one specific example. It doesn't matter if it's an exhibition, midseason, all-star game, playoff. Like, they treat it the same. They show up. They attack. They want to win. They don't care what it is, you know? Yep. Yep. And so now he goes on to talk about how cleaners take breaks as opposed to coolers and closers. Coolers and closers are taking breaks from performing, but cleaners are taking breaks in other aspects, which we have talked about previously in the last um, couple episodes, which most would consider to be maybe not the best kind of breaks, but it's the breaks they're taking because they don't want to, they don't want their performance to break. Um, so it's that same publicity stuff that we're talking about, how you always see the high end athletes are getting into trouble with the law you know, affairs and all this crazy stuff. Um, but I'm going to go back to the book here. When a cleaner wants a break from the pressure he puts on himself, he escapes to the dark side, something else for him to control a temporary fix that maintains the pressure, but allows him to shift his focus from one addiction to another for a while. Instead of working, he reaches for sex. Instead of competing, he goes for the bottle. Instead of obsessing about his finances, he goes to the gym to obsess about his body. Still all about pressure, performance, and pushing the edge of his comfort zone back farther and farther just to test his own limits, assuming he has any. A cleaner controls the pressure he feels, and he never looks to anyone else to help him control it. This is why I think of LeBron as a closer, not a cleaner. When nothing is handed to you, as in Dwayne's case, going to a smaller high school and a small college, you have to prove yourself every day. Over and over. The internal pressure to establish yourself as the best is unrelenting. But when you walk in the door with everyone already telling you you're the best, it's a lot easier to believe. LeBron has been on a pedestal since he was in high school. Got the big shoe deal and the billboards before he had done anything. Shook up the entire league with the ordeal over the decision. People who had never watched a basketball game in their lives were asking where LeBron was going to play. Plenty of pressure in that, absolutely. But when you considered he was going to play alongside two other elite players, Dwayne and Chris Bosch, and was surrounded by an outstanding collection of other players, you realize he had a lot of latitude to spread the pressure around. So now this is what we were talking about before. Um, he's not a huge fan of LeBron. <laughs> so, and, and, it, and it does make sense in this sense because he's talking about Wade as someone who came from nothing. He's the underdog, right? He's small school, and he came up and he proved himself. But LeBron was always up high. And you know how he, he talks about, I don't know if it's in this chapters or the previous chapters, but he talks about how if you start high, you can only go down, mm -hmm. right? But if you're starting down here and you're gradually climbing up, it's a different, it's a different scenario. Yeah. And that this is exactly what we're seeing right here. I wonder if he worked with LeBron. I'm going to say no, but I mean, it's been I'm gonna say seven no. years since the book, but. I'm going to say no. And I'm also going to say that he might've been turned down. <laughs> by lebron to work with because he, he the way he talks about him is just kind of he, he doesn't I mean, like obviously him. lebron yeah obviously lebron's a great player but this you know grover does not <laughs> does not like him very much i'm going to continue reading that section you want to make comparisons think about kobe's reign in la michael's years with the bulls Dwayne before the big three even Derek rose in chicago those are guys who at some point looked around at the rest of the league and thought I don't want to join you. I want to beat you. 
And when a newcomer shows up, they're all thinking the same thing. You can join me, but I'm not joining you. When Dwight Howard and Steve Nash joined the Lakers before the 2012-13 season, all eyes were on the dynamic of Kobe and his new teammates. Would they share the starring roles? Was Kobe handing over the leadership role? Were the new Lakers going to get more attention than the originals? Kobe shut that down right away. Quote, I don't want to get into, well, we'll share, he told reporters. No, it's my team. I own this. Now, this is where it's kind of an agree to disagree type of thing. Because um, I feel like if you're, that's your stance as a leader, it's kind of the opposite of that sharing the, or expecting more of your teammates. I feel like that's just showing your teammates that you run show and that you're going to handle everything, this, that, and the other thing, and they don't have a part on the team. That's what that kind of looks like, at least to some people, yeah. some players on the team, you know. Um, obviously, you you have to have a stance on it because you're the leader, especially as Kobe, right? Like, you, you have to be the guy. But I think sharing that wealth, that talent with the rest of your team to get the end result is even more important than standing up like that. Um, but I think Kobe is much more mellow, as I said, than Jordan. Mm -hmm. So obviously in all these pages, he talks about Jordan in any recent chapters too, how Jordan's trash talking is off the charts. Yeah. And yeah. And there's, there's more, um, there's more uh, coming up as well. And you, you talked about it before, how the training room incident. Yeah. And, and he kind of expands on it. The next page. Even on the next page, I, I wouldn't mind reading this part. Short goes, um, I always felt Michael's legendary trash talking wasn't meant for the other guy. It was another way for him to heighten the pressure he put on himself. Because once you've told others how bad you're about to fuck them up, you're going to have to deliver on that promise. So, and then this whole chapter is about pressure, dealing with the pressure and Again, going back to the, there's no such thing as a clutch gene. Um, it's how you manage that stress, how you manage that pressure. Um, and yeah, he just says right there, like it kind of explains, it gives a reason for Jordan's trash talking. He's not just like shit talking the other guy just because like, oh, I'm Michael Jordan. He gives an actual reason for it. It's heightening the pressure he puts on himself because he thinks it yeah. helps him perform. And he'll do anything. Yeah, he doesn't he care what, it, he doesn't care if he's, getting under someone's skin like he could really care less it's all about him and then he gets into internal pressure that's all he cares about and now the biggest thing on this is he doesn't let a positive or negative result impact his performance mm -hmm. he just keeps going after that and he continues on here and talks about lebron how he does the opposite and this is why he doesn't believe he's a cleaner yeah so i'm going to read this part right here during the 2012 NBA Finals, Oklahoma City's Sergey Ibaka decided to test how well LeBron was managing the pressure he felt to carry the heat to a championship. LeBron's mental toughness had been a question for a long time. When he was seriously stressed, he'd start biting his nails and chewing his fingers. When I saw him doing it during the championship series, I turned to ESPN's Stephen A. Smith and said, he just checked out. The minute he does that, he's gone. This time, fortunately for the heat, he was able to come back. In the past, I've seen him at the free throw line at home in front of his own fans, giving them the quiet down arms as if they're being too loud and distracting him. That's how you know the emotion has taken over. So Ibaka goes right at that emotion and tells the media before game four that LeBron can't defend Kevin Durant by himself, which of course set the media on fire to get a response from LeBron, who said he wasn't going to comment. 
and then commented at length. <laughs> That's a closer. So, I mean, I, I love that, that contrast right there, how he uses Jordan as an example. And then he's like, okay, this is why LeBron is not a cleaner because mm-hmm. he does the exact opposite of what Jordan did. Um, and I think people who compare LeBron and Jordan are just plain stupid. They're, they're dumb, right? Because they clearly they're not looking into the, the actual facts of the situations. Yes. He's getting points. Yes. He's doing this. Yes. He's doing that. He's winning. And like we've said, Grover's probably changed his opinion on LeBron since then. Mm-hmm. Um, he might not still be a fan, right, of LeBron, but I mean, there are clear differences here. Yeah, very, very clear. And then we go on. He goes on to talk about Jordan and his, I guess, thought process uh of when he knew when his time was up um and i'm going to read this and i want to talk about it because this is kind of one of those things where you look at greats and some people kind of have a negative opinion on someone who's performing very high retiring from a sport and i just feel like you, you hear the, this quote go around, and I'm probably not going to say it exactly right, but how, you know, wh- why retire if you're still performing? <laughs> and and then they're saying, like, you know, the, the player is saying they want to end on a good note, right? They want to end performing well, not dwindling out yeah. with the rest of the pack. Um, but I'm going to read this, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. It's not enough to get to the top. You have to stay there. Feel that pressure and fight to stay there. You have to work for that. It's not owed to you. That's how you know when the great ones are finally done. They no longer want to keep fighting that fight. They know what they've accomplished, and they make the choice to stop cranking up the pressure. And it's always a choice, completely in their control. I saw it in Michael when he went to play in Washington. The psychological aspect of being Michael Jordan, what that represented to so many people around the world craving that pressure and turning it into diamonds every day, year after year, constantly striving to be better than the best. When you're already the best, eventually you just have to say enough. This is who I'm going to be now. The fire was still there, but not that desire to make it hotter and harder. And he was still the only player over ever over the age of 40 to score more than 50 points in a game. Even then he'd still do something to throw the crowd. His way of saying, just because I don't doesn't mean I can't letting the next opponent know he was still there to be dealt with. He still craved the pressure, still had fun finding ways to crush the other guy. No question in my mind, he could have kept playing. Um, I mean, eventually you, you, you got to say enough is enough. I mean, how many years did he even play? I'm not even sure how long he played for. I mean, if he's playing over 40, he played 20 some seasons, didn't he? Sure yeah. Could. And now, so I don't know if you watched, the last dance. Did you end up watching? I've that? seen episodes. I haven't watched the whole thing like religiously. I've seen a number of episodes. Yeah. So now that that show or documentary series, whatever you want to call it, was all about Jordan. And it was insane to see the pressure that was on him constantly, on and off the court. And to stay at that level for the amount of time that he did is just insane Mm. it's absolutely insane and i think well like like he said like grover's saying in this book about the dark side like jordan obviously was a bad like 
big on gambling mm-hmm. and got him into trouble with that a lot. Um, but he was still able to to perform like year after year, game after game. And it's I, I don't know how someone can perform like that for that long, especially with all the noise mm-hmm. around you. Yeah, it's you a, it says he played 15 seasons. 15 seasons won six championships in 15 seasons yeah yeah that's ridiculous and when he went to play baseball i wonder if grover now that was towards how many years did he play after that i don't think it was too long after that but anyways i wonder what grover thought when he did that because i don't think he's mentioned it much no he he did mention about his training he wanted to be the best at everything so we talked about how his training would he would train for basketball but then he would also be doing stuff to train for baseball because he wanted to be the best at everything he did yeah maybe so i think now now that i'm thinking about i think grover did mention that he was like okay i've conquered basketball i want to conquer something else now. so he kind of needed something else to to fire like light that fire in him yeah um but i also feel like Grover is favoring the guys he trains. Yeah, I, uh, definitely. He loves Jordan. Loves yeah. him. He's 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 definitely biased to him. But from somebody on the outside looking in, you look at Jordan going to play baseball, and you say he's checked out. He's done with basketball. Yeah. Um, but you know, you could look at both sides of that. Obviously, you always can. Um, now Grover goes on here to talk about adaptations and how few people can adapt to the pressure and still perform day after day back to the book few people have the ability to adapt on the fly and make quick adjustments that work you can plan and prepare for 10 different scenarios be completely ready for every variable you anticipated and you can be sure there will be an 11th scenario you never saw coming most people are ready for one scenario they can't even envision 10 they're completely paralyzed by all the possible variables and when one thing goes wrong they can't adjust You can practice the same shot over and over and over until you can do it blindfolded. Great. Now, can you do it if I hit you with a sandbag while you shoot? Can you focus if I blast horrible music or scream in your face? When you always go according to plan, you get robotic and lose that innate ability to know what to do when plans suddenly change, when you're confronted by the unexpected. But a cleaner can take that same plan, and when something goes off the rails, his instincts immediately take over and he adapts. Doesn't think about it doesn't need to be told he just knows that's the trademark of a dangerous competitor he doesn't have to know what's coming because whatever you show him he's ready no fear of failure that's not about the myth of positive thinking it's about the hard work and preparation that goes into knowing everything there is to know letting go of your fears and insecurities and trusting your ability to handle any situation now this right here what he just said reminds me so much of what tiger woods father did to him when he was young and training and they'd be on the course put the card in reverse in his backswing throwing the cart yeah throwing the card in reverse which if you're not a golfer and you don't know the cart makes up <laughs> yeah beeps very loud and um what what else would he do um he'd like throw balls near him and he'd talk in his backswing and all this stuff all these he'd intentionally he leave clubs that was another one he'd leave him a club so we, yep, he'd go yep. like okay use your use your seven iron well, I don't have my seven iron anymore. You got rid of it. Oh, deal with it. You know, like yeah, yeah and his mom, yeah. there's something his mom did too. Forget. Oh yeah. Yeah. It might've just been a quote. Something about like you go out there, you like 
this is your course, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. She was just more hardcore on him like that. Um, now I do like when Grover talks about himself because I like to hear his story and where he came from. Yes. That was interesting. Yeah. It gives him even more credibility. So he talks about, so obviously, um, in reading this, you know, he came from a very poor family and very hardworking parents and they came, they moved from India. They moved to London after they got married and they were raising their kids and they were separated. The siblings were separated for a while to, so the parents could work and and make their money. And there's this little story I want to read right here about, um, a cab. It's a story about a cab. What, yeah. What page is this on again? Uh, this is 116. On the, on the day we arrived in Chicago to be reunited as a family, my dad got a cab at the airport, loaded up all our bags and possessions, and we headed toward the city. But a few miles from our destination, he suddenly told the cab to stop. We got out, unloaded all the bags, and started walking, just two little boys who had no idea what was going on, and our dad making it sound as if we were on this great adventure, seeing the city on foot. But the truth was, he didn't have enough money to go any further by cab. So we carried the bags and walked. He was a dad in a new country with two little boys and no money in his pocket. Figure it out. Figure it out, I learned. So now I feel like a lot of people have this misconception that a cleaner is just somebody famous, like an elite athlete, but there are cleaners all over the place. And, you know, his dad, from what I can read, was a cleaner. Well, and he, he says too, work. he says, right, I think it's in the next line even. Yeah, even today he still has the instinctive ability to know Whatever he does, it's going to work. Can he pass that along to me? Total cleaner. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people who don't have a lot of money, they kind of accept it and they let that be their life and they just go, they roll with the punches just like that. But he's fighting it and he's making it work no matter what. And I can only imagine like living a life like that, being away from your siblings, they had to live separately, being away from the rest of your family and then, to get them back together, he's paying a cab for half the ride and they got to walk the rest of the way in Chicago. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, And there's this little quote I want to read that's just on the next page. You can't control or anticipate every obstacle that might block your path. You can only control your response and your ability to navigate the unpredictable. Now this goes into many scenarios, right? This is in sports, right? Something bad happens in a game. You got to be able to bounce back from that. And he talks about how the coolers and closers, sometimes they're not able to come back from that, right? Once something happens and it's a domino effect the rest of the way, um, you know, you, you see it, you see it a lot in, in businesses when something bad happens, you saw it with COVID, right? COVID hit and some businesses were able to adapt and, you know, go to the online space mm-hmm. and do this. Some, some are and, crippled. Some are crippled, like a lot of restaurants. There's there, they decided to stay closed the whole time, or they couldn't find the employees who would work for them during COVID with the takeout and all that stuff. Like little things like that, that mm-hmm. the owners and, and CEOs of companies like just couldn't they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure out how to make the change. And the ones who made the change, they're the ones who will continue to make the change. And those are the cleaners. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what we got here. Now he goes on to talk about confidence on the next few pages. Um, So I'm going to read a few passages here. And obviously, as we know, confidence is huge in in success. 
And it's why I think it's one of the, one of the key contributors because when you're confident, you're working harder. When you're confident, you get to the game, you get to the pressure, you know your capabilities are there to make it happen. So back to the book. When you're confident, you don't care about what others think. You can take your mistakes seriously, but still laugh because you know you can and will do better. Cleaners always have the confidence to know they'll get it right, accept the con- consequences, and move on. So that's extreme ownership, just owning your failures. And, you know, he, he talks about – he does those little segments at the top of each chapter yeah. about coolers, closers. Yeah, I was going to comment on that. I like that. Whatever the chapter's on, a cooler would do this, a closer would do this, a cleaner would yep. do this. Yeah. Exactly. And so in a situation like this, you know, he's pretty much, he says that the coolers, they're, they're blaming it on everybody else mm-hmm. or, or, or maybe that that's even closers and coolers are even worse. Um, but the cleaners, they're taking ownership mm-hmm. of their failures and they're saying, okay, I fucked up. You know, I have to, I have to make something of this now. And then they turn around, they work harder and they get the job done. Um, And he has, he continues on about confidence and how important it is, especially in a growing athlete. Like, I mean, Dylan, how important is it to have confidence as a hockey player? It's critical. I mean, I even noticed in my own game last year, the difference between like my difference in production and play from when I had confidence and when I didn't. It's a complete turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So confidence carries on into the next chapter. And this chapter is called when you're a cleaner, you don't compete with anyone. You find your opponent's weakness and you attack. And that little top section where he talks about a cooler closer and cleaner reads a cooler does a good job and waits for a pat on the back. Closer does a good job and pats himself on the back. Cleaner just does a good job because that's his job. So it's that same extreme ownership thing, like just expecting more of yourself. You have to expect more of yourself. And he goes on to talk about how tall guys actually like the extremely tall guys. And this is kind of funny to think about. Um, and it's interesting that he could pick something out like this and analyze yeah. it this way. Um, but I'm going to read this, this next page here, but not everyone can take it. I have this theory yet to be disproven that any player Six foot ten or over cannot handle harsh confrontational criticism. With someone six nine or under, you can get in his face and just blast him. But any taller, he'll just lose it and go right into a shell. I think it comes from a lifetime of being stared at and gawked at for being so much bigger than the rest of the population. People pointing and making height jokes. So the tall guy becomes more sensitive and self-conscious. They're just emotional softies. They can be complete killers in competition, but they're also the guys you have to pat on the back, boost their confidence, and make them feel good about what they're doing. The little guys, you can call them every name imaginable, and they keep right on going. I bring this up to give you an example of how different people respond to competitive smackdowns. This was back during one of the Bulls championship runs, and Scottie Pippen was trying to get Luke Longley fired up during the finals. All the players were together before the game. Scotty was talking to Luke, who stands seven foot two. Need you to bring your A game, said Scotty. And before Luke could respond or even nod, Michael whipped around in front of everyone and said, bring your A game, bring a game. Luke was, Luke was done. I don't think he scored once. Confidence shot. Good night. 
Michael didn't know or didn't care to know how to psychologically deal with teammates for all his countless gifts as a player. Sensitivity to others was not among them. He was driven to attack, dominate, and conquer in every way. Whatever he had to do, he did it, and he expected the same from every individual around him. And every day, those teammates had to show up to face him in practice, completely dreading what was ahead, not because practices were hard, but because they knew they had to deal with number 23 in that legendary mouth. And this is kind of a little introduction to the leadership of Jordan, right? And this is what we talked about before, how he's kind of oblivious to the fact that some players need to be treated differently. And we've talked about this with coaches before, mm. how each player needs to be treated differently to reach their peak performance. Um, I mean, like that's, it's a little uncalled for <laughs> that, that quote there, you know, yeah. um, especially it's, um, but yeah, that's funny how then he gets into the, the treatment story, which is funny. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you want to read that? Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> so once during the playoffs, on the day after a grueling overtime game, the team was ready to start practice until Michael looked around and noticed one guy was missing. Where the hell is Burrell? He barked. Scott Burrell, a part-time player at best, was in the training room. Michael stormed in there, where poor Scott was on the table getting treatment for an alleged hamstring issue. MJ grabbed the table, with Scott still on it, and completely flipped it over. I just played 48 fucking minutes last night, Michael roared. Everything's killing me, and you have a fucking hamstring? Get your ass in the fucking practice now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he says, get on my level or get the hell out of my way. Yeah. So that's what we talked about before, how Jordan is always demanding that the other players come up to his level, not the other way around. And see, um, I think he like, I don't think that's the right way to do it. Like, you know, per if you're building the perfect player and as much as Gover expresses that MJ's the perfect cleaner, like, I think that's a category or a quality or a characteristic that he could work on, you know? Like, yeah. I think he could get more out of his teammates if he approached that different. Yeah, and later on in the chapter, I think it's towards the end, but he talks about how once Jordan was no longer on that team, everyone else around him was no longer the player that they were. Because when they were on the same team as Jordan, they were playing – above their level. capabilities yeah. because they were playing up to his level. But I feel like as a leader, you have to find a way to get them to want to do that on their own, not just because they want to play up to your level, right? It's about longevity. Mm. Right? And even as, an, even as an individual, though, you have to see that. You have to know that you have to find a way to perform above your capabilities without having someone like Jordan, like Kobe, or anything like that. Um, which obviously it's not easy to do because um, it's easier chasing than to stay up there. Mm -hmm. So as, as we've said, the, there's a um, saying for that too, the wolf, the wolf climbing the hill is always hungrier than the wolf on top. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And on the next page, Grover gives a comparison between Kobe and Jordan's leadership. I'm going to go on reading. A lot of gifted people will lower their skills to close the gap between themselves and those around them so others can feel more confident, involved, and relatively competitive. I've seen Kobe do that briefly when he has to as a way to bring his teammates into the action and keep them engaged. It can work well depending on the other players, and as soon as Kobe sees his teammates stepping up, he'll revert to his natural game. 
It's a conscious decision to make the other guys feel as if they're, they were one team, not one superstar surrounded by a second-rate supporting cast. Michael went the other way and came right out and said it. That's my supporting cast. His message was clear and unrelenting. Hey, I'm not bringing my game down so you can look better. You bring your game up so you can look better. He refused to put his own game in the backseat just to give other guys more action unless you prove to him you could handle the responsibility. And I'm going to read on the next couple pages about in-game stories about what Michael would do and kind of really laying the pressure on other guys, pretty much saying you got one shot and you screw it up, you're never getting the ball from me again, Yeah, which is like a little, little insane. Talk about and pressure. Yeah, right. And this, this lays on that concept of leadership and leading each individual differently. Mm-hmm. Like somebody's going to take that really well. And they're like, all right, fuck yeah. I'm going to make the most of this. I'm going to make this shot. And then other people are like, oh my God, this could be my last shot ever, you know? Um, and that also depends on, on age as well, right? You have a new, a new guy in the league, a newcomer, and his pressure is even higher. Mm-hmm. Cause he's like, you know, I might make a name for here. himself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and you know, that's one of those things that I criticize Jordan on, not that I can criticize much on him. <sighs> Obviously he's a, the greatest basketball player of all time, but you know, we're trying to pick these guys apart. And I think Grover you know, he's definitely biased, as I've said before. Um, so mid-chapter, Grover gives another little section about coolers, closers, and cleaners. He says, a cooler wonders what's going to happen. Closer watches things happen. Cleaner makes things happen. And that's as basic as it is right there, right? Like a cleaner's just making it happen. He's not thinking of things. It goes back to the chapters that he said before. Don't think, right? Don't think, just do it. Mm-hmm. And like that quote that Kobe said, how even thinking of getting in the zone distracts from being in the zone. Yeah. Just being in that Zen state. Um, And then there's this story right here uh, in learning about what you have to do as a leader. So I'm going to read that. I got deep into this discussion with a client during one of those in case of emergency break glass meetings during the playoffs, the entire time we were together, we just talked no physical stuff. Zero didn't stretch him before the game. Didn't warm him up. Didn't go to the gym, just sat around and talked. He was upset with some of his teammates, frustrated frustrated by what he believed they couldn't do. When you're so extraordinary at your craft, when your talent is so natural and your skill is so elevated, it's hard to understand that not everyone is like you and can do what you do. It's not a matter of they're trying more or working harder. They really just can't do it. And if it's not handled right, it will destroy your entire team or office or wherever you have, you have elite performers surrounded by less gifted colleagues. We talked about every guy on the team, focusing on all the players' strengths instead of their weaknesses. I told him that as a leader, his job was to recognize his players' talents and put them in situations where they could use those talents. Yes, we know this guy might mentally check out, and that guy isn't going to take a shot under pressure. You know this guy can deliver during the regular season, but in the playoffs, he's going to look like the D-League player he really is. So don't put the player in a position where it will matter. Work with the strengths, and everything else you get beyond that will be a bonus. You control this. Take charge of the situation and make it work in your favor. But, I added, you also have to recognize you're so competitive that you're crushing them with your disapproval. You don't realize the impact you have on everyone else because your wiring is completely different. 
when you're shaking your head or yelling at them, they shut down. And I know you love these guys, so they need to feel that you're backing them, not turning against them. I'm not doing that, he said. And now this is an unnamed client, but I believe that this is Jordan. I think I 100% think this is Jordan. And I think he would, I I think he would come out and say it was Jordan. You think? Yeah, I think he would. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, I'm on that idea of that Grover is so biased towards Jordan that he's not going to knock him at all. Yeah. It's, Um, uh, yeah. I see that. I think it's someone still playing or was playing at the time. And that's why you wanted to protect him. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I agree. It could be something like that. Um, And then he pretty much goes on to say that, like, okay, he understood the concept. And then by the next game, he was literally meeting his teammates at half court, patting them on the ass, showing his support. And if that's what it takes, that's what you have to do. And that's leadership. That's making a team successful. You have to do what you got to do, right, to make things work. And that's that concept I was talking to you about, right? Leading, you have to have different strategies with different players. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah. And I'm going to finish this off with – actually, before that, I want to talk about coaches, um, cause he has a little section in there about coaches mm. and it's pretty interesting because you have your cleaners, you have your closers and you have your coolers and those are all players, but how are you going to lead a cleaner? If we know that cleaners do it their way or the highway. Um, and it was interesting to see his, uh, stance on this with what coaches do and Phil Jackson, obviously, one of the greatest coaches of all time. And he's dealing with the greatest cleaner of all time, (laughs) Michael Jordan. So I'm going to read this section and then um, we'll have some final words. No one knows that better than the coaches who not only have to figure out the tribe, but manage the chiefs as well. (laughs) Good ones understand the dynamic. Let your, let your cleaners do their thing. Those who can't give up that, that control eventually coach themselves out of a job. A cleaner player needs a cleaner coach because they'll understand and respect what each other has to do. Cleaners never sell each other out. They just let the other guy take care of business. Phil understood what he had to do with Michael. You respect my job and I'll respect yours. Run a couple of plays that I need you to run and then have at it. Phil never sought relationships with players. He just put them in situations where they could succeed. And he didn't try to make people do what they couldn't. He's not an X and O guy. He's all about total instinct and a gut feel for the game. He sees personalities and measures what they can do. And this right here is a perfect example of decentralized command. He put all his money on Jordan to lead the team in the way that he felt that Jordan could perform his greatest and the team could perform his greatest. So he put the players in the right spots and he made it work that way. And I like that's that's what coaches need to do. Right. They need to see, they need to analyze the team. It's not all about the strategies. You see teams with great strategies, not win championships. And it's because of that reason. Exactly. Their players aren't in the right spot. And you know, that's where you have teams with elite players. We saw it with the Oilers for how many years? Edmonton Oilers. They had literally everybody under the sun, Yeah, all the talent they could ever need. And they stunk. They did absolutely nothing. Um, I want to, I'll remind me the Oilers piece after I want to touch on that after. Okay. Yeah, definitely. All right. And I'm going to close this up right now. um, This chapter with um, showing up regardless back to the book. 
The only way you can light other people on fire is to be lit yourself from the inside. Professional, cool, focused. If you had a bad night and you can't show up the next day ready to go or you can't show up at all, that doesn't affect just you. It affects everyone around you. Professional doesn't let other people down just because of personal issues. If you need to show up, you show up. You might detest every individual in the room, but if your presence makes them all feel better, if it pulls the team together, if it results in better performances, then you've helped yourself to get one step closer to your own goal. That's how you get others to come up to your level. Show them where it is and set the example that allows them to get there. So that's that's pretty much self-explanatory right there, just about being your best self all the time, regardless of anything that's going on around you. Focus on your main goal and do everything you can to get there. Mm. Um, and that's you know that's the, pretty much the difference between a closer and a cleaner. You know what I mean? Like the closers are letting all the noise get in the way, and the cleaners are just zoned in on the on the main goal, and they get there. They find a way to get there regardless of any adversity that comes their way. Um, so what were you going to say touching on the Oilers? Just about, so Oilers and, and McDavid. So the debate of Crosby versus McDavid, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Cause all these people that oh McDavid's the best McDavid's the goat, blah, blah, blah. He hasn't won shit. This yeah. is, this is what his second time in the playoffs in five yeah. years. I don't think they made it past the first round last time. They're, they were supposed to win this round against the Jets. I know it's a long ways from over, but they're currently down 2 nothing in the series. They've scored one goal in two games. McDavid, you just led the league by a fucking mile, and now you haven't even yeah. put up a point in two games? Where are you now, big guy? Come on. Yeah. Like So I, I think I think Grover would definitely consider him a closer. right? Yeah, now. and I, I think he's in LeBron's shoes. Like, yeah, Crosby? Cleaner, three cups, has won everything there is to win. There's nothing. I read an article on The Athletic the other day about Crosby, and it's like, what is he playing for? He doesn't have anything more to win. He's won it. Well, he wants another cup. That's what he wants. But this this writer, I disagreed with him. He's like, Crosby has everything. He should move to a Canadian franchise. There's nothing left from Pittsburgh. No, the guy wants to win. He wants another cup. That's what he wants. Yeah. But he has. He's won everything. World Junior, World Championship, Stanley Cup, Olympic Gold, part of the Triple Gold Club. He's won everything under the sun, but he wants more. He's a cleaner. McDavid hasn't won shit. Biggest moment, doesn't show up. Yeah. yeah. And then just to touch on the other piece about the Drop co- the mic. Yeah. <laughs> touch on the other piece about the coaches managing a cleaner. Look at the coach of the Bucks. I don't. I forget his name, but I saw an interview with him talking about when he had Tom Brady come into the organization this past season and how he let him work his magic. Like, you know, there's times I just sat back and, and let him do his thing. Like, and that's exactly what he talks about cleaners trying to manage a cleaner. You can't, you can't have Tom Brady come into your organizations after he's won six Super Bowls and then try to coach him. Like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make this guy better. Well, no, you let him do his thing. And that's what he did. And look how that turned out. Yeah. What, what do you think is going to happen if a coach like that tells Brady what to do? He's, <laughs> like, not, he's not going to play smell for you. Smell Yeah. Yeah. Smell you later. You know, he's not, he's not going to perform at his greatest. Or if he even performs at all, he'd probably just leave. Mm-hmm. Pack his bags right there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, you got anything else on these few chapters we read? No. No, I enjoy it. I like talking about the cleaners closers relating it back to hockey because that's what we do i always say it's a nice change of pace to read about basketball even though i'm not totally like you know 
a basketball guru yeah. by any means. Yeah. Um, but I like making the comparisons and, and relating it to myself and my own sport, my own life. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. So that's why I like the Crosby McDavid comparison. Um, Cause I think that was that's a great comparison. I think it's a hundred percent true. I think Crosby's a cleaner thousand percent. And he, he did mention Wayne Gretzky actually. And there, how he's he a total yeah, cleaner yeah. in his quote, you miss hundred percent of the shots you never take. Um, Probably one of the most known quotes of all time. Yeah. I love that. But I think Crosby cleaner hundred percent. I don't think McDavid, he hasn't won anything. He hasn't won a cup. Yeah. Willie, maybe. Yeah. Is he unbelievably talented and he almost averaged two points a game and he's the first player since freaking Lemieux and Gretzky to, to break 150 some games, or he's the fastest to hundred points since that, like in this era, but it, yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. He had an unbelievable season. Don't get me wrong. But like you said, closers have an unbelievable season. Cleaners have an unbelievable career. If he doesn't win a cup, he's not going to have yeah. an unbelievable career. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I do like how um, Grover sticks to what he knows though. He doesn't try to go to other sports right. and dissect these other things. Like he knows basketball. He's going to use all his examples geared towards basketball. Yeah. And um, you know, and then he, he does it well enough that we can relate it to our own stories, our own life. And um, we hope that our listeners can do the same for themselves. Cause I think there's so much valuable insight in here to put into effect into your own life, yeah. right. To just be, be a better overall person, right. Mm. Uh, self-growth, self-development, like all those things, right. Improved. If you read this book correctly and you take all the information that comes from it. Mm. Um, and I'm excited to, to, you know, continue with all these types of books. I think it's going to be great for us and it's going to be great for the listeners. So for sure. Um, we're off to a good start. So you're good. Yeah. All set. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We are out. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to your YouTube channel to get motivational videos, full video podcast episodes, and the best snippets from our podcast. You can follow our podcast Instagram at Behind the Underdogs and our main brand account at underdog underscore brand. And make sure to follow Behind the Underdogs on Twitter where we share our favorite quotes from the book we're reading. Once again, we appreciate your support and we hope to see you next episode. Thank you. Thank you.